0: I'm pulling out of the gas station. We all know what that means. It's time to drive to work. And I had to teach Rachel how to pump a gas today. Uh, she's a good driver, though. L- learning the basics. Anyway, uh, so today I got a special guest. Um, Unstable uh, is out, hopefully, by now. Uh, and so I got the rules manager to come and talk to you guys today. It's me, by the way. So uh. Anyway, so I'm putting on my... My uh, unrules manager hat. So I did a podcast once before about the fact that I'm the unrules manager. It's a, a job I kind of backed my way into. Um, but I actually had to do a bunch of work for Unstable, and so today I'm going to talk about Unstable rules. Doo, doo, doo. <laughs> so I'm hopefully going to explain a bunch of things. I'll talk about some. Um, I'll talk about the mechanics, maybe some cards that are complicated, um, and we will dig into the rules of. On unstable, specifically. Uh, although some of the rules will follow... Some of the rules uh, were created for previous unsets that I'm following um, the rule we set there. Um, but anyway, let's talk unstable. Okay, so we're going to start with contraptions. Because contraptions are the big new hot thing in the set. So I want to talk through some of the rules a little bit. Okay, so the idea is you have an, uh, a contraption deck. Contraption deck has a different back. Contraptions do not go in the library, nor do they go in the graveyard. When contraptions die, they go to the scrapyard, which is basically the graveyard for the contraption deck. Um, the, the re- mostly the reason that's important is um, that when contraptions get destroyed, they don't go to the graveyard. You can't get them out of the graveyard. You know, they're in their own place that you can't get to. Um, there, there's no cards that reference the scrapyard. At least right now, there's no cards that reference the scrapyard. Um, okay, so here's a couple of things about contraptions to make sure that people understand. So number one is they are artifacts. They are not—they um, don't go in your deck. But when you play a contraption, you are putting the contraption on the battlefield. Now, there are sprockets you are putting them in. Um, so real quickly, just for those that might not know exactly how this works, the way contraptions work is you have a contraption deck, you have cards that are in your normal deck that assemble contraptions, uh, when a contraption is assembled, you take the top card off of your contraption deck and then you can put it into one of three um, columns, sprocket one, sprocket two, or sprocket three. And the idea is each turn you advance the crank counter and a different uh, column sort of goes off. All, all the contraptions in it happen. So, um, and the way it works is it sits idle until you make your first contraption. And once you make your first contraption, then the first turn after your first contraption is made, sprocket one. uh, Beginning of turn, sprocket one will go off. Then the next turn, sprocket two will go off. Then the next turn, sprocket three will go off. And the way it works is any card that's in that sprocket, in that column, will happen. You can put them in any order you want. So if you have, let's say you have um, two things, one that makes your creature bigger and one that makes your creature fight. Well, you can first apply the, the, the boost to the creature and then apply the fight. You can go in whatever order you want. Also, they're all optional. So if you don't want to do something, uh, that doesn't happen a lot. They're, mostly, they're, all, they're all positive abilities. But every once in a while, is something in which, oh, it's not beneficial to do it. You're never forced to do it. Contraptions are optional. Uh, we were going to write "may" in all the text boxes, and like, well let's just make the rule that it's optional rather than just adding extra words. So, the idea on contraptions is you never are forced to do a contraption; you can do whatever you want. You only do the contraption so in that sprocket, in that in that vertical column. Um, so, one of the interesting things about contraptions is figure out what you want where. There's a lot of combos that happen. We design contraptions so a lot of interactions can happen. So. When placing, oh, remember, when you assemble a contraption, you are allowed to put your contraption in any sprocket you wish. It does not need to be in the next sprocket that goes off. It does not need to be the sprocket that went off that turn. You can put it in any sprocket you want. Now, there are some cards that have you reassemble um, a contraption. What that means is (coughs) you basically, it's as if you drew it. You sort of pick it up and then you can put it in any sprocket you want. So if I reassemble something, let's say I played it originally, put it in sprocket two. Reassemble and I can put it in Sprocket 1 or Sprocket 3. I can put it back in Sprocket 2, technically. Um, Not a great use of reassembling, but technically, I guess you're allowed to reassemble to the same place. Um, Also, you can get control of your opponent's Sprockets. There are cards that let you sort of steal them. And what happens then is you're essentially reassembling from theirs to yours. Now, be aware when you do that, they still own it. It's their card. And if it somehow gets destroyed, it goes to their scrapyard, not to your scrapyard. Um, now, there are some cards that allow you to sort of get ownership of cards. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, okay. The, um, the thing to also remember about contraptions is, on the battlefield, and they are on the battlefield, they are artifacts. And they're permanents. They're permanents that are artifacts. Any way you can interact with artifacts, you can interact with contraptions. If you want to destroy an artifact, you can destroy a contraption. No, you're not destroying all all the contraptions, unless you have a destroy all artifacts. Um, you're destroying, you know, each artifact, is o- each contraption is its own artifact. So destroy target artifact means you can destroy a single contraption, but you can't destroy all contraptions or even a whole sprocket. You destroy one singular contraption. Um, also, you can sacrifice. Let's say you want to sacrifice an artifact. Those are artifacts. You can sacrifice them. There are actually two cards that let you sacrifice an artifact to um, assemble contraptions. And so one of the things that lets you do is it lets you sacrifice one of the contraptions to assemble a different contraption. Um, oh, deck construction, by the way, real quickly, is uh, in constructed, you have to have at least 15 contraptions and they're singleton. Meaning you can have no more than one in um, limited you have whatever you want well you can draft whatever you you want you can play any number of contraptions you can play zero contraptions you can play as many as you have uh, and you can play any duplicates that you want Um, the, the trick about contraptions in draft is you have to draft the contraptions there's two in a pack they need to be drafted so if you pick up things that assemble contraptions you might also want to pick up contraptions because If you go to assemble a contraption and you have no contraptions in your contraption deck, then guess what happens? Nothing. You don't assemble a contraption. And so um, I will tell you strategically, you kind of want to make sure every time you assemble a contraption, you have a contraption. Um, You're you're paying for—the mechanic pays for that you're assembling a contraption. So not assembling a contraption is not getting the full value out of the card. And I will tell you, a lot of the value of the card is the contraption itself. Um, the way the contraptions work, by the way, is there are 45 contraptions, five... Uh, there's For each faction, there's a different... There's nine for each faction. Uh, by the way, they make a picture. If you put them in um, a 3x3 three three sle- car- card sleeves, they make a 3x3 three three picture. So if you want to have some fun, you can. They, they connect and everything. Remember, they bleed to the end. Um, also, contraptions... Um, Oh, on contraptions, uh, the bottom right-hand corner is a symbol. All of the contraptions tie to one of the um, five factions. There's a there's a picture of their watermark, their symbol. Um, for purposes of watermark matters, those symbols on the contraptions are considered watermarks. So, anytime it talks about if you if you have a card that does such and such, those are contraptions. Um, so some cards say you can sacrifice a Blotty Blot. Well, that, you know, if it's the right one, you can sacrifice that. So those, th- for things that care about watermarks, those are counted as watermarks. Um, so any other contraption questions? Um, I think that's all the contraption questions. Um, so let's, let's segue. I'll, se- I'll segue into watermarks real quickly because we're on watermarks. Um, so there are a bunch of cards that care about watermarks. Uh, there's some cards that care about specific watermarks, like if it has a spy watermark. Uh, and then there are a few cards that um, either uh, watermark it as the land that just cares about, it, unless you, it, it makes two colorless mana, but you can only do, use it on cards that have watermarks. So all that's looking for is watermark or no, do you have a watermark? Um, and oh, once again, let me, I forgot to mention this in the beginning. Uh, what we call the, the silver rule, um, kind of like the golden rule, but the silver rule of magic. Uh, I'm sorry, um, of unsets, is normal magic, black magic. The way black magic works is if I have a card, every card with that English title, um, with the same English title, works exactly the same. They're identical. They're all completely functional. In the unworld, that's not true. In the unworld, you need to care specifically what the version you are playing with has. The reason that is so is... um, we care about things in Silver Border that we don't care about in Black Border. For example, artist, expansion symbol, watermark. And what can happen is the same card can have different expansion symbols or different artists or different watermarks but be the same card. So in Black Border, you can't care about those things because they're, they have to be treated, the cards have to be treated the same. Here, if I care about a particular watermark or care about a particular artist or care about a particular expansion symbol, I have to look at the card. I have to see what the card is. So, for purposes of, of uh, watermarks, let's say I'm using Watermark it. Um, it doesn't matter if there exists another copy of the card with a watermark. It's like, well, there is a version of this card that has a watermark. Ah, don't care. Does this version have a watermark? If not, so when watermark, it says it can cast any card, it means specifically cards with watermarks, not cards that have other versions that have watermarks. That's not how Silver Border works. It looks specifically at the card. Now, there also is at least one card, um, stamp, stamp of Approval, that you pick a watermark and then it grants uh, plus and plus one to all creatures that have that watermark. Um, and so that one is, is looking at a specific watermark. You pick a watermark. Now that doesn't need to be a watermark from um, unstable. It doesn't even need. It, it can be a black border watermark. That is fine. You could pick the Frexian symbol or the Miran symbol or any of the Guild symbols or any of the Clan symbols. Um, for purposes of um, people will ask, I, I, I'm going to be kind and say that for the five Clan symbols, all the variants is the same Clan. I'll, I'll, I'll be nice about that. That the, the wing of the dragon is the wing of the dragon, even though there's actually three slightly different versions of the wing of the dragon. We'll, we'll call those the wing of the dragon and, and, and be nice about that. Um, so, watermark, like I said, watermark is the element, normally on a card behind the text, um, the Ravnica guild symbols, the clan symbols, the Frexin mark, uh, the Planeswalker symbol on story spotlight cards. Um, those are what I refer to when I talk about watermarks. Okay, let's get to the other um, named mechanic of the set. Host and Augment. Okay, so the way it works is uh, host creatures are just creatures. You can just play them. They look weird. They have a a metal bar running through their art, and their text box is a little quirky in the way it's laid out. But basically the way a host creature works is all host creatures have an enter-the-battlefield effect. When When you play them and they enter the battlefield, they'll do their effect. Um... Most of them are just vanilla creatures other than their ETB effect. Um, the one exception, they're all, yeah, they're all vanilla creatures, except uh, there's the one um, flying ro- robotic uh, uh, angel that's um, that flying. Uh, now, so the idea is I play a host creature. It's a normal creature. I, it just its a creature. I can act like, you know, th- there's nothing weird about it game-wise. It's a creature. The layout is weird because we're trying to help you with the augment mechanic, but it, it, it is, um, just works like a normal creature. Okay, augment uh, are creature cards, meaning if I care about something being creature, if a card says discard a creature card, they are a creature card. Search your library for a creature card. They are a creature card. The thing about augment is you can't cast them. They have no mana cost, but they do have an augment cost. So the way that an augment cost is, if you have this in your hand and there's a host creature... That you control on the battlefield you can augment the host so augment is only usable on host creatures so don't play augment cards in your deck if you don't have host creatures likewise when playing um you want to make sure you have more host creatures than you have augment cards, because you can't host creatures you can just cast augment you can't cast unless you have a host creature um so Augment are similar to auras in the sense that you need the creature first before you can use them. They're even more restrictive than auras, though, in that an aura can go on any creature, or a chant creature can go on any creature, where an augment can only go on a host creature. Okay. Now, when you augment, now you'll notice that there is a metal bar in uh, about a third of the way over on a host creature, and then on the augment card, the bar's all the way to the right. So basically what you're doing is you are taking that metal bar in the art and you're overlapping them. Uh, And the idea is when you augment something, you are covering the front part of it and giving it a new front. It'll keep its back, but it'll have a new front. And the way it works is pretty much anything you cover up, anything you cover up is now covered up and anything that's on the, uh, um, the augment card is now true about the card. So, Augment will overwrite a bunch of things. Uh, it will overwrite um, part of the name. So, the name changes. So, let's say, for example, I have... Um, was it an Adorable Pony? Uh, There's it a pony. And then I have Half Kitten, Half. So, I overlay it. Now, it's Half Kitten, Half Pony. Um, and that's now its name. So, cards that care about name look at that name. Um, it now... It has a slightly different... Um, car type line, usually what happens is it keeps its creature type but it loses its host status which is fine because anything that cares about host or augment will mention augment um, and then it has a new trigger or activated or trigger ability. So all the host cards have an enter the battlefield trigger and then ability. Well the trigger goes away, when you enter the battlefield trigger goes away, but it still have it has its effect. So now you have a new... Um, Um, I don't remember what Half Kidden does but Half Kitten is something like um, uh, whenever a creature non-token creature gets put the graveyard or something Um, I don't remember I don't remember exactly what it does but anyway it does something and whenever that thing happens now you get to do what um, the pony I don't remember actually I'm using examples I don't remember exactly but um uh, I think, for example, the example I used in my article was you put monkey onto adorable kitten, so it's, mon- it's monkey, ki- monkey kitten. Um, monkey cares about when a non-token creature dies, and uh, uh, the adorable kitten, whenever when uh, its trigger is um, roll six sided die, gain life equal to the die roll. So if you put monkey on kitten to make monkey kitten, um, you um, you end up. Um, you end up making a... Um, uh, whenever a creature dies, you roll a die and get life equal to... The total. A non-token creature dies. You gain life equal to uh, six die to die roll. Um, now, when you overlap them, a couple things. Um, artifact status stays. You'll notice that the, we cracked off the artifact part of the car type line and moved it over so you could see it. Um, pretty much we've helped you that anything that stays true, you can still see. Oh, the one other difference is the um, augment will have um, power and toughness. It'll change them usually, or it it will always change them in some way. It doesn't always change both. Um, Sometimes it'll change one and not the other. And by the way, it can can not just be pluses, but mean minuses. Um, So let's say it says plus two, plus two. That now means, so for example, I think monkey's plus two, plus two. I think adorable kitten's a one, two. So now um, it's plus two, plus two. So instead of a one, two, now it's a three, four. now, when you augment a creature, it's considered a singular creature. So, if I if somebody destroys the creature or does something to the creature, the whole creature is affected. It is not. It is not um, the two cards have merged into one singular creature. So, anything that now cares about it treats it as a singular creature. The fact that it's made up of two cards doesn't matter. They 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 they've been uh, augmented, and so now it's just, it's a singular creature. Okay, the other mechanic. Um, well, the, the, uh, the only two named mechanics were uh, Contraptions and Host and Augment, but there is a, a few more non-sort of named things. I talked about Watermark theme. Um, so there's a mechanic that we called Outside Assistance. It's not named. That's just the nickname RD uses. Outside Assistance, and I think there's eight cards that do this, um, the way Outside Assistance works is it requires you to go get somebody who's who's never played in the game that you're doing. So that means is outside assistance means I have to get somebody that not only isn't curring, currently playing in the game, but hasn't played in the game. Um, you can't go get back somebody that got played and got knocked out in a, in a multiplayer game. Um, what you need to do then is you need to go get those people and do the thing that it asks you to do on the card. Um, does that person have to... No magic. Nope. Um, the, I mean, the, the only time that you might want someone that knows magic is Kind flavor requires them to play the turn. Um, not that you couldn't get a non-magic player to do it, but it, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be, trouble ma- it's going to be hard on that one card. But the rest of the cards is like, hey, pick something. And so they can pick something. You know, pick a card in my hand or pick a creature that's attacking, you know. So um, the other thing is you are allowed in outside assistance to use a phone. You can text somebody... You can um, call somebody on the phone. You might need to give them information so they know what to choose from. Like it might be, here's your choices. Here's a picture of your choices or something. Um, but the idea is you gotta ask somebody that's not part of your game. It could be somebody in another game. It could be somebody working at the shop you're playing at. It could be somebody walking by in the street. It could be your mom if you're playing in your kitchen. It, it just needs to be somebody. And that person doesn't have to have any knowledge of magic. In fact, a lot of fun things can happen when you involve people that don't know magic into the magic game. Also, a lot of fun things can happen when you involve magic players into a magic game that's another game. Um, But the key to outside assistance is that you need to pull in somebody that hasn't played. Um, The other thing that's a big theme in the set is die rolling. So, with one exception, all the dice rolling in Unstable is six-sided dice. And when we say six-sided dice, we mean a die that has an equal chance, has six sides, has an equal chance of rolling all six sides, and there's a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, and a six on each of the sides. That's what we mean by six-sided die. Uh, Sword of Dungeon Dragons does let you roll a 20-sided die. Um, so one of the things you'll notice is sometimes we say six-sided die, and sometimes we say die roll. Um, if we Usually when we tell you to roll something, we will tell you to roll what we mean for you to roll, which is either six-sided die or 20-sided die. Um, The cards that care about a die roll will often say die roll. So, um, and there's a couple different ways. There's, I think, one or two cards that care about um, if you rolled the die, and there's a bunch of cards that care about what you rolled. If the card cares about an outcome, then it's looking for a number. So as long as you roll a die that the, the, it created a number, then you are fine. Um, but if you are rolling a planar die or something else. Also, when, it, when you have a card that cares about die rolls, it is only caring about die rolls that are forced by a card in the game. Meaning you can't, oh, I have to discard a card, I'll roll a die to figure out which card I discard randomly. That doesn't count as a die roll for purposes of die roll mattering nor does it count as a die roll for re-rolling dice. Um, that is only talking about um, if you roll a die for the sake of a card. Note that um, not only does unstable have die rolling, but unglued also had some die rolling. Those will those cards will work together. Okay, so there's a couple things you can do with die rolling to affect die rolls. Number one is you can re-roll a die. How does that work? So if I roll a die and I have an effect that lets me re-roll a die, um, then you are allowed to re-roll a die before the die effect will take effect. Um, I know there's some squishy rules thing here. Um, Basically, what I'm saying is if you're going to re-flip a coin or re-roll a die, the things that let you do that, let you do that. Before they resolve, they let you do that. Um, Now, there are things that care about rolling a die uh, and care about the results of rolling a die. They look at both the original roll and the re-roll. For example, there's a card called As Luck Would Have It. That wants you to get up uh, every time you roll a die roll, you get counters equal to the die roll, and you're trying to get to 100, and then it's an all-to-win condition. Um, that does count originals and rerolls. Every time you roll a die, it just looks at oh, I rolled a die. What what I get? Um, the but for the sake of caring about the dice, if you reroll it, you don't get to choose. It is now the new roll. Let's say I roll four and then choose to reroll, it, and now I roll two. Uh, I have a two. I can't I can't count the four. Now there is a there is an effect or two that lets you roll an additional die and choose which one not to include, like, um, the other, uh, th- uh, other thumb of, cr- other, uh, other corrects thumb or corrupts other thumb, it's called. Um, so when you use that, you can roll two and then pick the one not to include. Now, the interesting thing is when you roll two and pick one not to include, uh, I believe that doesn't get counted by things that care about die rolls because one of them sort of didn't happen. Um, I, I'll double check on that one, but, uh, I believe that's how we ruled it. um, the um, the uh, anyway the other thing that can happen is you can have your die roll affected by snickering squirrel or um, uh have other squirrel uh, what's it called squirrel power squirrel power or something um, uh, and they can make your die roll increase by one or by two um, so the idea there is um, when you can roll a score higher than naturally exists on the die if I roll a six and I have uh, Snickering Squirrel, it's a seven. Uh, so whatever you roll, you just, it's one higher, and it doesn't matter whether the dice actually does that or not. So yes, you can actually roll 20-sided die using sort of dungeon Dragons, and add one, and get 21. I think stickering Squirrel says all dice roll. Um, if you care about rolling dice, by the way, it just cares about any card that makes you roll a dice. So it will count planar dice for, did you roll a die? It won't, care about, it won't count for what's the outcome that you got, what's the number that you got on it, because there's no number on a planar die. Um, to the best of my knowledge, the only dice that official magic cards make you roll are six-sided dice, planar dice, and the 20-sided die for Sword of Dungeons & Dragons. To the best of my knowledge, there's no other dice that, that we have you roll. Um, maybe they will change in the future, but as far as I know for right now... Um, okay, let's talk about a few of the abilities that show up. So we're going to talk about Laugh Strike. So there's a card with Laugh Strike, and there's a card with Triple Strike. So Laugh Strike is essentially the mirror of First Strike. What that means is um, you get into combat, there's the First Strike time, and people who have First Strike can attack. Then there's Normal Strike. Uh, I think what Eli calls Strike. Um, and that's when Normal Creatures... If it doesn't say anything else, then that's when you do your damage. Laugh Strike, though, with the additional Laugh Strike, there's a new thing after normal damage there is last strike damage and if you have last strike you deal damage during last strike damage um, so one of the big controversial decisions that i made was what happens if you get first strike and last strike so let's say i have extremely slow zombie and i did some, something to grant it first strike um, There there's a lot of debate and um depending on how you interpret the rules there's a couple different ways to do it Um, What I found was most people I talked to, only the people that really knew the Black Border rules super, super well um, got the interpretation. There's two interpretations. One is that you only ever get to do damage once, and once you do damage, you never do damage again, which is kind of how Black Border works. So in that case, you would just do first strike and you're done. Um, That is not how any of the casual people thought it worked, and I decided that I'd rather play with how people perceive it to work rather than be... Anyway, I decided just to make it work the way the majority of people thought it worked. So, if you have first strike and last strike, you get to do damage during first strike, you get to do la- damage during last strike. Um, uh, we, we call that split strike, because double strike is um, first strike and normal. Split strike is, uh, there's no card that grants split strike, but uh, first and last. Um, then there is triple strike. Triple strike means you do damage during first strike, you do damage during normal strike, you do damage during last strike. It, in fact, does damage three different times. Um, and if I'm, un, if I'm not blocked, I will actually do three times my damage to the opponent. Um, so triple strike can get pretty potent. Um, there also is an ability called Squirrel Link that is on um, Earl of Squirrel. So that ability is a lot like Life Link, meaning for each point of damage I do, there's a resulting action. Now, lifelink is you gain a life. For Squirrel Link, it is you make a 1-1 green squirrel token. So Squirrel Link basically says, for all the damage I do, I make Squirrels. Um, and he also uh, enhances Squirrels. So he's... Earl Squirrel's pretty good. Um, there's an ability called Just a Second, which is a take on um, Split Second. The idea of Just a Second is... Um, that is... Um, what's that card called? It's the praying Mantis, the, the wrestler. Uh, I, I, sometimes I blink on the names. Um... Oh, Slaying Mantis. It's Slaying Mantis. That's a good name. Um, anyway, Slaying Mantis, as soon as you tell your opponent that you're going to cast it, nothing can move. Everything is frozen. Um, and you, you then get to cast the card. The card basically has split second in that you can't respond to it. But also, in addition to that, you're not allowed to move anything. That it's about to flip and hit things. Everything's locked in place. You cannot move it. Um, and that, so... Um, yeah, uh, uh, another card that causes some confusion uh, is a card called Over My Dead Bodies. Um, this actually might be the most confusing card in the set. Um, uh, either that or there's a, the, the ninja that's in hand in play is also confusing. Um, okay, so the way it works is when your creatures die, they go to the graveyard as normal. But when you attack or block, um, creatures in your graveyard get to attack or block as if they were on the battlefield. But with the caveat that they can only be blocked um, by other creatures also in the graveyard. So essentially what you've done is you've created two zones. And one zone, it's kind of like shadow. It's kind of like the creatures in your graveyard have a special graveyard shadow in that they can only be blocked by other creatures in the graveyard. Now, all the creatures in the graveyard have an ability called Undeath Touch, which is just me being funny of... It's death touch for dead things. Um, what that means is if you're ever damaged by a creature in a graveyard, um, by a, by, if a creature is ever damaged by a creature graveyard, uh, it's just, it's removed, it's exiled. So the idea essentially is when you're fighting in the graveyard, any damage will remove you f- from. So a lot of things you gotta figure out when you're attacking in the graveyard is be aware that uh, your big creature can be taken out by their tiny creature. Um, now, the way it works is, when we say can, can be treated as if you're attacking or blocking, during the window, any creature that's attacking or blocking can be interacted with effects that affect creatures, uh, can affect attackers or blockers, or just any creatures. So for example, let's say you have an ability on the battlefield that pumps all your zombies plus one plus one. Well, all the creature cards in your graveyard, because of uh, of overminded bodies, makes your cards into zombies um, All your creatures, while attacking or blocking, would get the bonus, the zombie bonus. Um, Now, also, if you... Let's say I attack. You can target creatures with spells that are attacking because they are legal targets. So what happens if I murder a creature that's in the middle of attacking from the graveyard? Well, what'll happen is it'll go to... It it sort of goes to the graveyard. It's already in the graveyard, but it will remove it from combat. Um, But it's in the graveyard, so you didn't really... All you did—I mean, you can use it to stop the damage for the turn, but you can't—it won't get rid of it next turn, you know. Murder doesn't stop a dead thing from attacking next turn. Um, you can exile them uh, in cards that— uh, either cards that exile cards in the graveyard or cards that exile creatures if it's an that you can do during combat. Um, you can't exile things, and then they're gone. Um, uh, so let's talk about—what's um, the ninja's name? It's like Masterful Ninja— um, The ninja has this ability that's very similar to yet another another Aether Vortex um, in that it can be at two zones at once. The difference here is when in your hand, you can activate it to be both in your hand and on the battlefield. Um, And what that means is it gets the benefits of being in the hand and it gets the benefits of being on the battlefield. If anything ever happens to it, meaning if it dies, it goes to the graveyard Meaning it would leave both your hand and the, the battlefield and go to the graveyard. Likewise, if you're forced to discard it, uh, it it goes to the graveyard. It leaves both hand and the graveyard. Um, so the idea is it exists in both zones. It gets any benefit from being in each of the zones. But it, um, if it ever leaves one zone, or if it ever gets sent to the graveyard, it leaves both zones. Um, the card has to be... Um, now you can play Masterful Ninja. I'm not sure why you'd want to, since you get most of the benefit of activating your hand. But if you need to, you can. Um, but it has all properties of being on the battlefield. You can sacrifice it, but note sacrificing it will require, require you to discard it. Um, that when it goes to the graveyard in one zone, it goes to the graveyard in both zones. It doesn't then. It doesn't then say, well, I'm, not, I'm now in hand and in graveyard. It doesn't do that. Um, how am I doing on time? I'm. I'm. I've gotten to work. Oh yes. Okay. Well, I've had a good 30 minutes. Um, anyway, um, there are still other questions. I mean, I, I was trying to answer the major ones today, at least how the major mechanics work. Um, there will be other questions, and if, if this is popular, maybe I'll do. I'll go do some by card questioning. Uh, there is plenty of rules. I I the I think the rule the FAQ is like 60 pages long. So there's a lot and lot of different uh, rulings that had to be made. But anyway, I will. Uh, I'm now pulling up to our parking lot. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park. Um, but anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, it's not often I get to talk rules because uh, it's not often I get to be the rule manager. But in Silver Border world, I am. So I guys hope, hope you enjoyed the discussion today. But anyway, I am uh, going I'm, to... I'm, we all know what it means. I'm here. Yeah, We all know what that means. It means the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.